Thank you, Gavin. Great to be with you at Highgrove, and great to see you so wide awake. And um, we need to be awake, don't we? Awake to what's happening in a complicated, challenging world. Sometimes it feels, you know, in the light of COP26 and the kind of climate uh, emergency that's been proclaimed over our world, that we're, we're asleep, that we're kind of sleepwalking into a kind of future that's very uncertain. And it's, uh, so many people realise that, that government need wisdom. And I guess, how, how are our, our leaders, our national and international leaders, going to have wisdom for the challenges? Well, sometimes they, they appoint wise advisors to help them, people like Dominic Cummings. Anyway, but the, 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 it's something said, isn't it, though, that, that wisdom comes by experience and that might be personal experience uh, the experience of, of life or it might be sometimes the received experience that comes from the wisdom that's there in community that we we pass on things and so when Paul's writing to the Corinthian church he's he's writing to a community of people in a city that probably has all kinds of things it prides itself on in terms of its experience and its wisdom Within the, the, kind of the, the Greek culture of, of that time, there's a, an intellectual wisdom. Sophia itself, it's a, the Greek word for, for wisdom. Um, the Sophists were one of the many schools of Greek philosophers. And uh, we think about um, those traditions, the, the exploring the nature of reality of God that, that began um, with, within those waves of... Uh, Philosophical enlightenment from the from the Greek world, and and Corinth was was a city with with strong philosophical traditions and would pride itself on on a wisdom, but it was also a, a, a city that had known the pragmatic wisdom of Rome, a city that had actually been destroyed and rebuilt by the Romans, and 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 the the wisdom of Rome is about power, how we handle power, how we um, kind of subdue our enemies by by making things so. Desperate, so there's such fear that can be imposed by the legions, by the punishments, including, of course, crucifixion, that we can have our will and we can manipulate and control people through the exercise of, of raw and ruthless power. And the Jewish community in Corinth was also a community that would pride itself on its wisdom, but this time to receive wisdom of the Torah, of the law of Moses, the venerable traditions that had given them a sense of a unique status as the people of God. So it's a, a, a city and a culture that has a sense of its wisdom that it wants to listen to and, and operate from. And I guess that the church itself had a, its own pride, its own hubris maybe even, because of the spiritual experience that they experienced, the, the supernatural quality of their life. And their, their sense of, of we have spiritual gifts, we have supernatural experiences, what more do we need? You know, we're, we're rich, we're, we've got it all going for us. But Paul, as he goes uh, and as he writes to that church... And that's it. of course, he spent time in that city. Speaks of the wisdom of God that is different from philosophical wisdom, pragmatic wisdom, or even religious wisdom. He speaks of the wisdom that's in Christ. And, um, you know, wisdom is contrasted in Scripture, isn't it? James, I'm just going to read you a little bit from the book of James where he talks about wisdom, two kinds of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you, he says in James 3, 13. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of, of righteousness. There's something about the wisdom of experience, of the human wisdom, that's actually deeply cynical and can be quite uh, trading on, on the lowest impulses of human nature. That's why we appeal to greed or to fear to get our will done. But the wisdom that comes from heaven comes from an opposite spirit. And it's actually not easy for human beings to engage in. It comes through revelation. And we need to be awake to it. I love that Peter's declaration of, of, of of who Christ is in, in Matthew 16. Do you remember that in that pivotal point of halfway through Jesus' ministry, he, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the Messiah. And, and Jesus says to him, you know, blessed are you, Simon Peter. This, this hasn't been revealed to you by, by, by men, but by God. In other words, you have grasped something by revelation. Peter, of course, then goes on as Jesus talks about the cross to rebuke Jesus. When Jesus talks about going, following the wisdom of God, going to the cross, Peter says, no, this, this will never happen to you. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in your heart the things of man, uh, the, things, the things of God, but the things of man. <coughs> and, and there's three wisdoms there, aren't there? There's, there's the wisdom of God that's actually calling out sacrifice. And there's the wisdom of, of man which leads into demonic, which is about avoiding pain, avoiding difficulty, about using different sorts of power to get your will done. And the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom revealed in the cross, is hard for people to get hold of. Let me just read you a little passage from Tom Holland's book, Dominion, which is a, a book I'd highly recommend, actually, as a, as a kind of historical kind of gloss, written from a, to a secular market, but actually grasping lots of things about Scripture. This is what he says about human beings being credited with divine nature. He's saying it wasn't the first time when, when Jesus... Um, when people recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, that people have been called sons of God? Of course not. Augustus was called Son of God. Lots of the great um, emperor, emperors of um, the ancient world would have a kind of divine status they would ascribe to themselves or others would ascribe to them. But he writes this about Jesus. Divinity, then, was for the very greatest of the great, for victors and heroes and kings. Its measure was the power to torture one's enemies, not to suffer it oneself, to nail them to the rocks of a mountain or to turn them into spiders or to blind and crucify them after conquering the world, that a man who had himself been crucified might be hailed as a god could not help but be seen by people everywhere across the Roman world as scandalous, obscene, grotesque. The ultimate offensiveness, though, was to one particular people Jesus' own, the Jews, unlike their rulers, did not believe that a man might become a god. They believed there was only one almighty, eternal deity, creator of the heavens and the earth. He was worshipped by them as the most high god, the lord of hosts, the master of all the earth. Empires were his to order, mountains to melt like wax. That such a god, of all gods, might have had a son, and that his son, suffering the fate of a slave, might have been tortured to death on a cross, were claims, as stupefying as they were, 
to most Jews, repellent. No more shocking a reversal of their most devoutly held assumption could possibly have been imagined. Not merely blasphemy, it was madness. And so it's not surprising, if, if, if Tom Holland's view is right, that when Paul is preaching to the Corinthian church, <laughs> that they should, many of them, reject the wisdom that he was preaching because it was just so alien to their whole way of thinking. The wisdom of God, an unthinkable offence. Makes me think of um, Lord of the Rings, actually. Um, and you know, in, in if you've read the book or seen the film, there's uh, a terrible, decisive issue around the ring, the ring of power that the fate of the world depends on. And the little council chaired by Gandalf take a decision that they're going to send this incredibly powerful thing, which holds us in the hands of a very vulnerable, non-powerful little hobbit called Frodo to go and destroy it altogether in the Mount of Doom in Mordor. And it's, it's a strategy that is full of risk, but it's the only way. And it's so against the thinking of the evil power, Sauron, that's um, the threat to the whole of the world, that Sauron will not grasp or understand that anyone would ever do that. It's a wisdom that bypasses the mind of the wise, that bases its wisdom on the cynicism of the lowest uh, forms of power and greed and fear. It offends at all those. And it's a great metaphor, actually, isn't it, of, of Jesus himself coming in his humility and vulnerability, becoming one with us, to save the world not by an act of um, domination, but by an act of self-giving love, of destroying the power of evil through the power of love. So Peter got his wisdom by revelation, and that's how we get it. We get wisdom through the Spirit, and we need to be awake to the Spirit himself, because the Spirit knows the unknowable. In the, the verses that we heard from um, Gavin, as, as Gavin read to us from 1 Corinthians, it talks about the Spirit that searches the deep things of God. It says, verse 10, God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. The Spirit awakes us to the mind and purpose of God. And it's revelation. In a sense, the mystery that Paul talks about is something that you can't penetrate by research. It comes through self-disclosure. And, and, and the whole thrust of Scripture is God is self-revealing himself to those who have eyes to see, to those who have hearts to open. And are we those kind of people? And, you know, you know how it is. You know, who knows the sp me, really? Actually, I know me. No one else will really know me in the way that I know me because my spirit knows me. 
Yeah, Proverbs talks about the loneliness of the human heart. No one else knows its bitterness. No one else can share its joy. Because ultimately, the inside human being, our deep choosing self, is impenetrable unless we choose to reveal it to others by sharing life with them. And then it will only be partial. We have the privilege of the God who we can't see being known to us by his spirit, who is God, and shares that revelation with us. So it's an extraordinary privilege, but it's also essential to be people of the spirit. If we're going to be awake, then it's the spirit who's the breath of life who breathes on us and wakes us up. You know, that's what happened when, when Jesus breathed on his disciples. It's like he was waking them into life. It's what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came. It was a new creation act. God putting his Spirit in us, just like God breathed life into dust. Here's God breathing life into us, waking us up into a new creation reality. And um, I guess often it's frustrating is it, trying to talk to people about God. And, and, and because they haven't got his Spirit, they just don't get it. One of my best friends is my brother-in-law. He's a lovely guy. He loves Lots of good stuff. He, he loves justice. He's a lawyer who works, uh, particularly in Eastern Europe. He's living in Ukraine at the moment. He, he's working with countries that want to harmonize the law with the EU. He's got a real heart for justice. He's put himself out. He's made himself a persona non grata in countries like Moldova because he stood up for, for justice there. But he just can't grasp um, God. You know, for him, it's all about human beings cooperating to make a better utopian world. And so it's life very disappointing for him, frankly. But if you've got the Spirit who gives us not just life, but hope, and the way that God can change the impossible, the God who raised the dead, then we don't just have wisdom for life, we're hope for life too. And if we're going to um, get it, what we get is that mercy triumphs over judgment. We, we get the fact that actually blessed are the poor in spirit because it's a wisdom that says it's not about me. It's, it's about a grace that can come. And that, that when I realize my poverty but realize the richness of God, then I have a whole new perspective on life. It's about power that flows out rather than flower that flows up. You know, in most organizations, power flows up to the chief executives, you know. But in, in Jesus, power flows out from the greatest of all to his people, to us, as he gives us his spirit. And it's the God who gives away power is the God who overcomes evil with good. So how do we get wisdom? I think we need to embrace a posture of love and a posture of surrender. One of the things that I've been doing... Um, daily for a little while is following um, a, a kind of prayer pattern that Daniel Strickland amongst others has modeled it's called infinitum check it out on a website if you'd like to and uh, they use um, in, in, a, in a morning prayer some things which I'm just going to do with you now as I finish how do we follow a posture of love Daniel says it's about surrender it's about generosity it's about mission and the prayer begins by confessing our lack of those things and our lack of wisdom as we put our hands, our fists up to fight for our rights, to defend ourselves, to go white-knuckled into a world, to take it on. And the prayer of confession says, I choose now to abandon this posture of attack and defense 
and I surrender to you. I put my hands up. I surrender to the wisdom and mercy of God. I say, Lord God, unless you build your house, I labor in vain. Unless you do it, unless you form new creation in me, I can't do it. It's about your grace, not about my work and my efforts. I surrender to you. It's about a prayer that takes us from a closed fist position of wanting to grab and hold and maintain to an open-handed position of generosity as we lean to spirit. Lord, the wisdom of this world says, I want to hold on and protect my own. But today I choose generosity. I choose to open my hands so that I can give what has been given to me, that I can be in the flow of your generosity into the world that you love. Give me opportunities to be generous with my time, my energy, my money today. And it's about a posture too that moves from a hands folded to a hands out in mission and ministry. Hands folded that is detached, that's cynical, that critiques other people and making efforts, that doesn't want to be involved, that says it's not my problem. To hands that embrace the world as God reaches out his hands to the world at the cross, that embrace the world in mission. And says, today, Lord God, I confess my detachment, my lack of engagement with the world you love, but I open my hands to mission now, to the lost, the least, the lonely, the poor, the privileged, the persecuted, the powerless. Today, Lord God, give me eyes to see what you're doing, to follow the Spirit. Today, rather than asking whose fault is it, may I say, while it's day, let's do the will of him who sent me. And as we pray those prayers and live those lifestyles, we're actually following the wisdom of God that builds a better world. And my prayer is that for you and I, we can be part of that wisdom. Amen.